Good morning, sports fans, bettors, and cappers, and welcome to the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast. I'm your host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell, and this morning's show is all about sports and the world of betting. We talk about a few results and headlines from yesterday's sports before we talk about today's betting slate and which bets we like overall. Now, this is a very light betting slate today, so it's going to be a quick, probably 10 to 15 minute show here. But then stick around as well if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be previewing the Dallas Cowboys with Mo Murphy, the VP over at Off the Ball Network. But our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many more great products. They have a variety of sports available on the website, and it works smoothly on both desktop and mobile the mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of the website. So go to bet99.com today to make an account to get started. And please gamble responsibly. You must be 19 plus years of age. So let's talk about yesterday's recap from a betting perspective. We're finally starting to write the ship. And we cashed our first parlay yesterday that we talked about. Our baseball parlay was the Mets money line versus the Braves. They won 5-2. to two. We had Seattle over the Angels, and that game finished 6-3. to three. And then we had the Dodgers' money line versus San Diego, and they blanked them 4 to nothing. Now, EPL-wise, we did quite well as well. We did like Manchester United and uh, Brighton, both teams to score, so we cashed that one. Brentford and Leicester, 2-2. Two to two. We had both teams to score there. And then, unfortunately, we just missed on West Ham plus one and a half. Manchester City beat them two to nothing on the road. So we had a two and one day from the EPL perspective as well. So that was all the EPL results from yesterday. We had some WNBA action. The Chicago Sky won 94 to 91 over the Connecticut Sun. We had the Aces win 89 to 81 over the Seattle Storm. We had the Sparks win 79 to 76 over the Mystics. And then the Minnesota Lynx won 81 to 71 over the Atlanta Dream. Now, on the golf side of things, uh, we had uh, Kim won the event yesterday at minus 20. He shot a 61 on the final day. The lone bright point from our golf bets has to be Russell Henley. Uh, we had him a top 10 finish at plus 275. We cashed that one. Unfortunately, neither of the winner plays hit. Adam Scott faded, and then we had our top 20 picks. Both did not play the weekend. So overall, a one in four week, uh, or one in five weeks, sorry, minus 1.25 units. Tough way to to have this golf event go, but we're going to get right back into things this coming week. More golf plays to come. Now on the baseball side of things, some of the games that we didn't talk about, the Guardians won one to nothing over the Astros. The Pirates won 8-1 to one over the Orioles. I know a lot of people had Orioles in our survivor pool, and unfortunately they were unable to have that one hit. 
Phillies 13 to one over the Nationals. The host had the Phillies, so we advanced to day four. The Rays won seven to nothing over the Tigers. The Reds beat the Brewers four to two in the tenth inning. This is one that eliminated a lot of people as well, and so was pretty happy to see the Reds pull that one out. The Jays won three to two over the Twins. My Red Sox got blown out 13 to five by the Royals. Cardinals and Yankees in the shootout of the day, 12 to nine, the final there for the Cardinals at home. The Marlins won three to nothing on the road against the Cubs. Then we had the White Sox eight to two over the Rangers. We had the Giants six to four over the A's, the Diamondbacks six to four over the Rockies, and then the parlay that we mentioned earlier also hit. So with that, let's get into today's bets. As we said, it's a very light betting slate. Uh, so overall, there's not going to be a lot to talk about from the betting side today. Now, we'll start with West Bromwich and Watford. This is some EPL championship action. These are two of the better teams in the championship right now. But I don't like this to be a very high-scoring game overall. This is one of the official plays that we have today. It's not both teams to score at minus 120. Part of it has to do with Vegas. They've got over two and a half goals at plus money. That always concerns me. It means that they're thinking that it's going to be low scoring. And so to me that either they're thinking 1-1 or they're thinking one nothing, 2 to nothing type scoreline. Now, West Brom, they lost their opener. Watford won their opener. I think it's going to be a one nothing or 2 nothing game here for either side. And so I'm rolling with not both teams to score in championship action. Then we had the Dallas Wings. They're taking on the New York Liberty. They're minus three and a half. I do like the Wings a lot. This is an official play. The line is three and a half. We're taking two and a half. We're going to buy the point at minus 134. Just because I think the Liberty are going to keep this close, I think the Wings pull it out. But the money line at minus 182, I don't love the value there. So going to buy a couple points here uh, in order to get us some value. So Dallas, they've won four straight. They're coming off an OT win over the Indiana Fever. Then the Liberty, they're hovering right around the playoffs. So that's why I think they're going to keep it close. I do think Dallas are the better team overall. They're rolling at the right time. And I think that's going to pay off for them today. So I'm taking the Dallas Swings minus two and a half. Outside of that, unless you're betting some Italian soccer today, which we're not, unless you got some ATP or WTA tennis, we're pretty light. And then we get into the baseball side of things. Now we have the Blue Jays. They're minus 140 today versus the Orioles. Uh, We're taking the money line today on that one. You got Kikuchi going up against Lyles. Kikuchi's 4-5 and five with a 4.87 ERA, and Lyles is 8-8 eight eight with a 4.4. I just like the Jays today. I think that they're going to pull this one out. The over-under 9.5 is very steep, so I'm staying away from the over-under in this game. I think Kikuchi will pitch well enough for the Jays to win this one. Um, the Jays are the better team from a runs perspective, and even from a, a hits perspective as well. They're one of the best in the majors with 9 hits per game. So I think that's going to pay off today against Lyles. Then we have the Mets. They're minus 320 versus the Reds today. Uh, they've got Chris Bassett on the mound. Bassett, uh, he's got a 3.62 ERA. Uh, and then he's going up against Justin Dunn. I just really love this matchup for the Mets. They're at home. Um, I'm not going to take the money line. There's no value in minus 320. As far as taking the run line, you have to go to minus 2.5 to get some plus value here. 
I'm not prepared to go that far as much as I don't like the Reds. So I might just fade that part of this game. As far as the over under eight and a half, though, I do like the over in this game. I think that the Mets are going to come out firing. Uh, so I'm going to roll with the Mets over eight and a half with the Reds. Then we got the Cubs minus 190 versus the Nationals. You've got Annabelle Sanchez going up against Thompson for the Cubs. Now, one of our official plays that we like today is the Nationals plus one and a half at minus 130. I just I think that this has upset potential. I'm just not prepared to go all in on the money line here with the Cubs being that heavily favored. So we're going a bit more conservative, taking that run and a half. And so I'm going to roll with the Nationals plus one and a half today against the Cubs. The over-under is also at seven and a half, which I think is pretty low. So if you don't like that one, you can always take the over. Or Bet99 has the option to do both a money line or a spread plus the over-under. So you can do a same game parlay with those. Now the A's, they're minus 125 against the Angels today. You got Irvin on the mound against Suarez. I do like the A's today. I'm a big fan of Irvin. As much as I think he doesn't get a lot of run support from this A's team, I think he's going to pitch well today. He's got a 3.04 ERA. Then you have the Padres. They're minus 190 versus the Giants. You got Snell versus Wood. Over-unders at 7.5. I like the under in this game. I see it being a 4-2 final here for either side. And so that would be my official play for that game would be under 7.5. Another official play that we have is the Pirates versus the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're taking the over 8 in this game. There's no value in minus 250 for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I like the over here. It's Bead versus Gallon. Not really sold on either guy. And so I'm going to take the over in that game. And then the last game of the night, this one, first pitch goes out just past 10 p.m. Eastern time. That is the New York Yankees minus 120 versus the Mariners. You got Tayon versus Gilbert. We're staying away from this game. Don't love the seven and a half line. Because uh, Tayon is very hit and miss. He's 10 and 2 on the year. What he does have a 3.96 ERA. So he tends to get a lot of run support. If he doesn't, then I see this being a very low scoring game. So I'm going to stay away from that one. But that's all that we have from a betting perspective today. As we said, it was a very light slate today as far as the games go. So be on the lookout for uh, any player props that we might have later on today on our betting account at HedgePod is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, as far as other headlines go in the sports world, the only other major one would have been Kareem Hunt, who demanded a trade yesterday from the Cleveland Browns. I don't really blame him, given the fact that when you look at the running back landscape in the NFL, I think you could name almost half the teams don't have a better running back on their roster than Kareem Hunt. So I understand his frustration um, so why not go and play for a team that needs a starting running back? I mean, given his video, maybe even a kicker spot opens up. That's a terrible joke. But nonetheless, I do think that Hunt should be on a roster where he can compete for a starting position. And that's just not going to happen behind Nick Chubb. So that was the main headline from the sports world yesterday. But that caps things off for our episode today. As I said, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, keep on listening to our Dallas Cowboys preview. We go really in-depth with Mo Murphy, the VP over at Off the Ball Network. And we will see you guys tomorrow morning for a much heavier betting slate. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is August 8th. 
which means our eighth NFL team preview is upon us. Now, yesterday it was all about the Cleveland Browns. Pretty depressing topic, let's be 100% honest, when we're talking about Deshaun Watson and whether or not he's going to play. And if he doesn't, then, you know, Jacoby Brissett is up, and, and that's just a sad topic in itself. So we're staying away from the AFC today. We're heading over to the NFC Talking about the team that I cheer for, this is the big one. This is the the one that I most look forward to chatting about my Dallas Cowboys in my Cowboys sweater. Shout out to Fanatics for the new sweater. But I am joined today by a fellow Cowboys fan. Now, this isn't going to be a Cowboys are the greatest. Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl. like Because me and this man don't usually see eye to eye when it comes to our, our team. Uh, and so we're going to sort some things out today on the show. Recap last year talk about the expectations for this year, and then talk some betting and some fantasy football. So he is the host of the Up in Flames podcast. He is the VP over at the Off the Ball Network. That is Mo Murphy, who has not been on the Competitive Hedge podcast since the rebrand. So Mo, how are you doing today? Yeah, like we said, you know, before the show, um, it made me think, like, I'm like, bro, this is my debut on Competitive Hedge only because when you were shoot or shoot, I've been on there, what, countless times but to have not been on competitive hedge i'm like bro it's only perfect for me to jump on here and talk about the dallas cowboys and how could you not want to talk about a team that went 12 and 5 last year unfortunately didn't know how to hike the ball uh, late in that game but we'll, we'll chat about the cowboys recap from last year because this was a it was a pretty successful season cowboys fans probably won't see it that way um but the Cowboys did have a great regular season. They went 12 and five after opening with a loss to Tampa Bay. They won five of their last six in order to get into the playoffs. And then unfortunately they fell to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs, but there were a lot of bright points last year. You know, the addition of Micah Parsons on the defense, he was phenomenal. Trayvon Diggs in the secondary made Dallas a formidable defense in the league. So Mo, what do you think of Dallas's year last year heading into this season as well? Um, to me, it was a typical Cowboys year, right? Like everybody looks at what they got on offense and defense and coaching or whatever. And they're very high on the Cowboys and they're a really good regular season team. And then when it comes to the playoffs, it's like, we're not the Dallas Cowboys no more. It's like, we were better than the 49ers top to bottom, but we lost for the simple fact, like, bro, we don't play our best football when it comes to the playoffs. And so last year has made me, and we'll get into it later, but the result of last year is why I'm so skeptical on being excited for this year. The guys we lost and, and you know, the, the guys that we've gained through the draft and through free agency, but even still, it's just last year taught me I should not be as high on the Cowboys. Like that was it for me. How we did last year, we go 12 and 5. We look like Super Bowl contenders. We played the Bucs. You brought it up. We lost to the Bucs. We played them great in the first week of the season. They were Super Bowl favorites. And after that game, it was like outside of maybe if you're a Cowboys fan and take the loss for what it was and it was an L, you thought like, man, the Cowboys might be really competitive this year. But Going throughout the season, it's like, bro, we beat up on the bad teams that were better than, and then we struggle with the good teams who were just as good as us or better. And at this point, it's like, bro, I'm not trying to get too excited for the season because I've done this every year for myself. 
my whole life and I've been disappointed every year. So going into this year, I'm going in with a closed mind of, bro, I, I just can't believe the Cowboys are going to be a top tier team because they're just going to let me down. So I've given up on that portion of being a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you there because they look really good at times. Like like there's some weeks where I'm like, man, this team could potentially have Super Bowl caliber written all over them. And then the Denver Broncos happens and you're sitting there like, we're really losing 30 to nothing to a team that doesn't have a franchise quarterback. And then you get to the playoffs and I agree we're top to bottom better than the 49ers. Mental mistakes, just bad penalties, like Whatever it is, like there's a mental block there once they get to the postseason and they can't seem to get over the hump. So heading into this season, I think we're in a similar headspace of like, I think Dallas is going to make the playoffs. But outside of that, I'm not sure how much further you go. I think a lot of it has to do with what matchups you get. But even regardless, it's a team that uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of heading into the year. So when we're talking about how the offseason went for this team. Uh, Recently, they signed Anthony Barr. They brought in James Washington, who's already hurt. They re-signed Michael Gallup and Leighton Vanderesh, but they also let some guys go, and and some key pieces from last year on offense. They let go of Amari Cooper. They let go of Cedric Wilson. Blake Jarwin's not back. And then you also have a few old linemen that are heading out the door. Now, in the draft, they do draft Tyler Smith in the first round, so they're trying to get that offensive line back up to snuff. But how is this offense going to look in 2022-23? Obviously losing your wide receiver one. You're asking C.D. Lamb now to step up and take that role. But this isn't as plentiful an offense as we've seen over the last couple of years as far as weapons go. So what are your what do you think of the offense heading into the year? So I'm kind of higher than most on the offense only because I think C.D. Lamb could take over that role as wide receiver one. I think once Michael Gallup comes back healthy, I think having them as a one-two punch is good. We've drafted Jalen Tolbert this past year. Uh, We drafted Sammy Fioko, you know, the season before, like two years, or the draft a year ago where we drafted Tolbert this year. So I look at the wide receiver group, and I'm like, okay, we got pretty good wide receivers, and we have Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard as a one-two punch at running back. and If you're an analytical guy, which I'm not, but even still analytics will tell you that every time Tony Pollard touched the ball, he might have been the best running back on our team. That's something to consider when we know when fully healthy and ready to go, Ezekiel Elliott is the best guy to hand the ball to. But when Tony Pollard touched the ball, he was the best player that we had from out the backfield. I think that's something to look at. I think we expect Dak to take a jump. What kind of jump? I don't know. I think he's a borderline top 10 quarterback, which I think is like respectfully. I think those guys from 9 to 13 all have a conversation to be 9 and 10. And I think Dak belongs in that conversation. But, I, bro, part of it is just, I, it's, the, it's not the offense I'm worried about. It's not even the defense I'm worried about. It's just head coaching in premier situations. And Mike McCarthy kind of folded in every position where it was time to show that you're a great head coach and making the right decision. Mike McCarthy folded. So as far as what we do on offense and what we do on defense, I'm not concerned about. I'm just kind of I'm I'm more concerned about coaching 
as opposed to any other position play from anywhere all the way from quarterback to kicker. I'm more looking at head coaching and what are you going to do in adjustments and situations when it's time to win games? How are you going to adjust as a head coach? So with the success of the season coming up, I'm more looking at Mike McCarthy than I'm looking at anybody else on our roster. Yeah, I think I, I think I would agree there. I think the the weapons are fine. I mean, you go out, you add Tolbert in the third round, Gallup obviously getting his extension, CD Lamb. I think the plan was always for him to become the number one option. I think that's why they drafted him where they did, because they, they didn't want to pay Amari Cooper long term and they let Cleveland do it instead. Backfield, they're fine. I think Pollard and Zeke are, are a good one to punch. And then uh, Dalton Schultz is obviously going to have a bit of an increased role now that no Jarwin there as well. But Dallas did also go out and get Jake Ferguson, so we'll see if he plays any, any sort of role in the offense. But I agree. I think that's why I'm also so skeptical about Dallas heading into the year, and it's because of coaching. And I didn't like the hire when it happened. I haven't liked the hire since then either. Um, there's just been a lot of situations where I felt like adjustments weren't made. I'm not going to pretend that I should be an NFL head coach, but sitting there and watching some games, I'm like, how have we not adjusted to what the defense is throwing at us? And I think that happens quite frequently. So head coaching is obviously a concern. I think it's pretty obvious that Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat this year. If you don't at minimum win a playoff game this year with the roster that you have and the amount of guys on the roster that are kind of in win now mode, I think he's going to be gone from Dallas. But We've also seen that Jerry falls in love with the head coach and suddenly we maybe have a head coach that stays a little bit longer than than he's maybe due. So I do have some concerns there. One concern that a lot of Cowboys fans have, which I think is just funny because it's it's training camp and, you know, videos are always flying of guys doing certain things. But a lot of people seem to be concerned about Trayvon Diggs and the fact that he keeps getting burned. And that to the point where he's deleting social media accounts because he's kind of just over people going after him. Now, this is a defense that is still pretty solid. You do lose guys like Gregory and Neal, but they brought back Van Der Esch. They still got Lawrence on the D-line, Brown and Hooker in the secondary as well. But Diggs has kind of been the guy that's been getting picked on by a lot of Cowboys fans. Now, I don't know what Cowboys fans expected because to me, this is what Trayvon Diggs has always been. When he gambles, he's going to make the big play. If he doesn't, then he's going to get burned. So I, I'm okay with seeing these videos, knowing what I already knew about Trayvon Diggs, but a lot of people seem to be concerned. So are you concerned about the Diggs situation or the defense in general at all moving forward? A little bit, but not the way social media has taken it because I think Trayvon Diggs, in his mind, has such a good year last year that he's not going to be the practice hard player. He's not going to make it a point to shut down CeeDee Lamb or Sammy Fioko or Jalen Tolbert. But on the outside looking in is like, bro, when he's getting fried by CeeDee Lamb, Fioko, and Tolbert, how you're going to automatically assume how does he measure up against Mike Evans or Chris Godwin in week one? How does he measure up against Jamar Chase in week two? How is he going to measure up against Cooper Cup in week three? Because those are our first three matchups. And you're going to look at him like, well, he's going to guard the best wide receiver. But I think it's more so he's a guy who had success. He led the league at interceptions. And he's kind of going down the trail of what lockdown corners have gone. 
Well, like their first couple of years statistically are amazing. But now, like, just think about it. When you look at Jalen Ramsey, do you value him based on interceptions? No, you don't. Why? Because when he locks down a wide receiver, he shuts down the whole side of the field. And so I think that's what Diggs is looking to become. But I think with him not there yet, him getting cooked in training camp, a lot of people in the social media. So everything's going to be overblown. So I'm a little concerned only because like habits become normal. And when you get into bad habits, then your bad habits show on the field when it really matters. So I'm hoping he turns it around. But at the same time, like what he did last year, he was a gambler. Like you said, he's a guy who he's willing to give up the big play to make the big play. And so if that's what we get another year of and he leads the league or he's two or top two or three in interceptions, then he's winning in a sense of, yeah, I'm willing to give up the big play, but when I do it, I'm more often than not right. And I have the IQ to 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 make those interceptions, to to jump the pass where you're calling the curl route, where I'm jumping the curl route because you could fake the curl and go deep and I could get beat, but I'm not... Bro, training camp is summer league in the NBA. And we had this conversation. Like, that's what it is. So it's like, if you overvalue training camp, and you're a person who overvalues summer league, and a guy averages 25 in summer league, and you're telling me he's going to average 25 in the league, playing against cream and the crop is like, okay, well, if, if Trayvon Diggs is getting cooked, like, sometimes that competitive edge isn't there in training camp that it is in the regular season when you know you're facing a guy that, your reputation is on the line by shutting down. So I think Trayvon Diggs goes into training camp and isn't concerned. He's not going to guard CeeDee Lamb or Fioko or Tolbert on a week-to-week basis. But you got to try. But at the same time, like he knows, like I think he's going to come ready to guard Jamar Chase and Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or or Cooper Cup or Allen Robinson. Like I think he's going to be there when we need him to be there. So I don't hold full value of him getting burned, but I also was in the chat like, yo, Trayvon Diggs is getting cooked. Like, <laughs> it's a little cause for concern, but I'm not all out on Trayvon Diggs based on his performance in training camp. Yeah, I think that's the key is, is there a little cause for concern? Sure. But is it enough where I'm like, wow, like, like we need to look at an- another corner. Like, th- this guy's get like, no, we're not going down that road. He led the league in interceptions last year. I think he's going to be close to the top once again this year. Just the way that he plays corner, as you said, taking those gambles. So I'm not really that concerned about him moving forward. But let's talk about Dallas from a betting perspective. This is a sports and a betting show. So we obviously got to touch on a few betting points from Dallas perspective. And as we've done for a lot of other teams so far as we preview through these Dallas are plus 115 the win to the division this year. Now, Vegas views this as a two-team race. They've got the Eagles sitting at plus 180, and then you go to Washington at plus 600, and then the Giants, who really cares where they're at. Um, (laughs) It is funny to see a lot of people dedicated, though, to Giants training camp. But to me, Dallas is the clear-cut favorite to win this division. I think the reason why the Eagles are considered in this race as well is because they obviously made the playoffs last year. They're thinking that maybe there's another gear for Jalen Hurts to get to. But this Dallas team to me is the most complete top to bottom. So I'm not concerned about the division or the playoffs. And clearly Vegas isn't either because minus 250 for Dallas to make the playoffs. I like both of those bets. 
Mo, is, is there any concern for you on either one of those fronts? Do you think that the Eagles challenge us? Do you think that there's even potential that Dallas misses out on the playoffs? What do you think? I'm not sold on Dallas missing the playoffs. I think they definitely, like, I think it's a lot that they'd be one of the three teams, you know, uh, wild card teams that make the playoffs, especially we added another spot. So it's like, you just got to be one of seven best in your conference. And we know how loaded the AFC is and we know how much talent, essentially the NFC is lacking, but a, a nervousness of losing, like not winning the division, I could see it because we're talking about Philly who was a playoff team last year and got better through the draft, through trade or whatever, getting A.J. Brown. Where, like, now you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and your third best receiver is Jalen Rager, who's been impressive in, in, in training camp, which is fine. That's cool. I would hope so. Uh, he's got to be a man on a mission, but they also got A.J. Brown. So their offense upgraded. You're projecting that Jalen Hurts takes another step. How much of a step he takes? That's that's on the individual, but you're assuming he's going to be a, at the very least a little bit better this year than he was last year. And it's a playoff team who got better. Where you look at the Cowboys and you're like, this is a division winner, 12 and 5, who kind of, in a sense of the overall America, got worse. They lost Amari Cooper. They lost a few people. Uh, they still have the same head coach. The offense may not be as great as everybody would project them to be with losing Amari Cooper or whatever. I don't think we absolutely murdered the draft like Philly did with being able to draft a player and trading for A.J. Brown. But I think even I think Dallas was so far ahead of everybody that even them taking a notch down as far as skill set from top to bottom, I still think they should be the favorite. But Vegas has it right. They're the slight favorite. We're what, plus 115? Philly's plus 180? Like, that's not a huge favorite. It's like you said, it's a two-team race. And so when I look at Dallas, like, should we win the division? Yes. But if Philly won the division and Dallas made the playoffs as a wild card team, I would see that as a realistic scenario where I'm not surprised that that happened. Yeah, I think there's always concern with the NFC East, too, because it's pretty rare that you see back-to-back -back division champs. What, 20 years almost since yeah. it last happened? Almost 18, 17, 18 years since the last time somebody won back-to-back? -back? Yeah, and so that would be my only concern, but I do think that Dallas is still the best team overall. Um, I'm not that sold on Nick Sirianni as a head coach either. For the Eagles, I think that's kind of a blessing in disguise that he's there. So that I do like Dallas. I like the plus 115 bet. The one that... I'm probably most concerned about from a future perspective would be that win total, the over under 10 and a half wins. Now Dallas on the surface, they got the 10th easiest schedule. You obviously know within this division, you should be winning four division games. You've got the Eagles twice. You got the giants twice. And then you've got Washington. You maybe slip up once against Washington or, or the giants. And then you split with the Eagles. So I think worst case scenario, Dallas wins four division games this year. But then that means they got to go out and win another seven games outside of the division. So when we're talking about that early schedule concerns me, when you've got Bucks, Bengals, Rams right out of the gate, not the easiest. Dallas fans also shouldn't panic, though, if you're 1-2, and 0-3. Oh the season's not lost at that point. You just have to recognize that these are teams that most people would have ahead of you. I think almost everyone would have ahead of you that isn't a Dallas fan. 
And then you have to start looking down the road at, at some of these other games because you've got the entire NFC North. So you get the Lions, the Bears, the Vikings, the Packers. You also get the AFC South. So you get the Jags, the Titans, the Texans, and the Colts. So there is a lot of winnable games within that schedule. So do you like the over here? Vegas has the over, I think, at one minus 135. The under is plus 110. So they are thinking that Dallas is probably an 11-win team. So what do you think about the over-under line there? Uh, I agree with it. I mean, if you set us at nine and a half, then it'd almost be a lock that we get over that. I, I mean, I'd almost guarantee a 10-7 and seven season. Like, I, I would guarantee that and bet the house on it. But 11-6, and six, like you said, like, Bro, our first five weeks, we could walk out of there three and two or two and three. We play the Bucks, then we play the Bengals. But in between, before we play the Rams, we play the Cowboys and the, I mean, we play the Giants and the Commanders. So, like, the first month of the season, if we upset either the Bengals or the Bucks, we could walk out of there three and one. But I think the consensus should be that out of the first four weeks, the Cowboys are two and two. Okay, they play the Rams. Two and three. Play the Eagles. Bro, we go through a stretch where we play the Eagles, Lions, Bears, Packers, Vikings, Giants, Colts. Like, that's the next stretch of games. And it's like, okay, we should be better than the Eagles. Even though we play at Philly, I'll go ahead and give us a loss there. We'll beat Philly at home. I'll guarantee a win at Philly uh, against Philly at home. Maybe we lose there. But we play the Lions at home. We play the Bears at home. and. We get the fortunate event of playing the Packers away, and we know Aaron Rodgers owns Jerry's World, but we're not playing at Jerry's World. We're playing in Lambeau, and I think that's a blessing. (laughs) We get an away game against the Packers, and then I look at the teams like Colts and the Titans. Obviously, I think I would almost guarantee a win against the Jaguars unless we had so many injuries, but the Colts and the Titans is like, we're probably in the same conversation as far as what type of team we are, and I think we're a little bit better than the Colts. I think we're a little bit better than the Titans. So I think those are two wins as well. So it's like to go 11-6 and six with adding an extra game, like 11-5, and five, just think about it. A team that goes 11-5, and five, you'd almost bet to win the Super Bowl. Like they're a Super Bowl favorite. But with adding an extra game, a team that goes 11-6, and six, they're a playoff team, should win the division, and maybe at the bottom half of your contender list. Yeah. I think that's about where Dallas is going into the season. They're a playoff team, should win the division, and at utmost success this year, they should be at the bottom two or three teams of being considered Super Bowl contenders. Pretty much where they are every year. The only thing is nobody's saying the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, but at best they should be considered that they have an opportunity if they get favorable matchups. So when I look at our, our, when I, when I look at our, uh, our record and I look at our schedule, bro, we have a favorable schedule. Like, okay, the first two games could be losses, but then we could come and beat the giants and the commanders be two and two lose to the Rams. And then after that, like every other game that we play for the rest of the season is essentially up for grabs because no team is definitively better than us. Yeah. I, I would agree there. I, I think we are we're ahead of the Colts and the Titans. Um, we're going to have a lot of division games down the stretch. So I think the wins are there. It's just you can't hit the panic button week four 
or week five yeah. and say, wow, Dallas is two and three. Like, what are they going to do? You just have to look at the schedule and say, you know what? We expected to be in this position. Now, if you're one and four, then you're like, okay, hit the panic button. But if you're two and three, three and two, there's no real cause for concern for Dallas moving forward. Now, from a fantasy perspective, Dallas is a team that there's going to be plenty of weapons within this offense that you can go out and draft in your fantasy leagues. So we're going to go QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and then we'll briefly touch on the defense as well. But we'll start with quarterback, that being Dak Prescott, a guy that throws for a lot of yards. He's been a solid fantasy QB for a lot of years, um, one that a lot of people draft every single year now. He's quarterback 10, which is a lot lower than where he was last year. I think he was in and around that six and seven range. They've dialed him back a little bit this year. But that being said, last year, he was QB eight overall. So he's right behind Tom Brady. He's ahead of Rodgers and Stafford. I think he's appropriately rated for what Dak gives you. Um, he doesn't necessarily give you the running upside of some of the younger guys like a, like a Kyler or a Lamar, at least to that extent. He can mm -hmm. make a few plays with his legs, but he's not trying to per se. Right. Um, but what do you think of Dak's rating? I think the fact that you can get him in round seven, round eight is really great value. That's usually where I like to take a quarterback every year anyways, because I don't think having the best quarterback necessarily translates hundred percent to winning your league. So what do you think of Dak's value? Uh, I think it's perfect. Like I think him being quarterback 10, it's like if you load yourself, when you talk about fantasy, if you got two good receivers and a good running back, uh, and then like an average receiver and a guy that you get in round six is Dak Prescott is your quarterback going for the future outside of the one injury he's pretty durable. Um, and he's a guy who kind of gives you consistency as far as his numbers. Like he might have a huge game one week and maybe an average game the next week, but Dak hardly ever in the regular season plays below average when you're talking about a fantasy perspective. So him being quarterback 10 is, I, I mean, I would almost say they nailed it by him being QB 10. Like that's fine. Like if I get a bunch of guys loaded and I settle as a, taking the 10th quarterback and Dak is the guy, bro, I think you have an opportunity to win a fantasy championship. I think he's that guy that wins you a fantasy championship because I'm not reaching on Jalen Hurts. I'm not reaching on Russell mm -hmm. Wilson, which is two guys that are ahead of him. But as you said, you get three running backs, you get a couple wide receivers, maybe if you're tight end, and then at quarterback you have Dak, I think you're in a great spot. I really like just this general area of fantasy drafts. If I've got Tom, if I've got Rodgers, if I've got Stafford, I feel really comfortable moving forward with any of those four guys. And Dak falls within the middle of that. I think he's the guy with the highest upside out of those four guys as well, at least from a fantasy perspective. Because let's face it, Tom's up there age-wise. Rodgers doesn't have a lot of weapons. Stafford, do we see a, a Super Bowl hangover? Who knows? So I think Dak has a ton of value where he's at right now. Now, Zeke is a guy that he's ADP 30. He was running back 15 as far as uh, rankings go right now. He kind of falls right in between Leonard Fournette, uh, Javante Williams, James Conner, David Montgomery. That's kind of the range that you're looking at when you're talking about Zeke. And so if his ADP is 30, then you're anticipating mid-third round, maybe early third round, depending on what kind of league you're in. I know in one of my leagues, running backs go really quickly, so... When we're talking about last year, he was seventh in PPR leagues and he was sixth in standard 
but a lot of people seem to think that Pollard's going to play a bit more of a role in the offense this year. So what do you think of Zeke from a fantasy perspective this year? Is he a guy that you want to draft in that range? Are you maybe waiting for a Tony Pollard whose ADP is 86 that you can get in that eighth round as kind of a flex play? So knowing a few, a few drafts that I'm in, knowing my position, there's really two drafts that I point to where like I'm, I'm seven and one and I'm eight in the other. Zeke is probably the guy that I'm looking at at that seventh or eighth pick. Like I think Zeke is a first round guy when it comes to fantasy because the scarcity of running backs, like if you if you have seven or eight and Zeke is the best running back available and you do have a star receiver, let's say like Zeke and Tyreek Hill are sitting there. You have to value what you're going to, like, okay, if I don't take Zeke, yes, I get Tyreek Hill, but I take a chance of my running back one for my fantasy is Brees Hall. And it's like a lot of people are high on Brees Hall. Yes, he was outstanding in in college, but like Michael Carter did some damage in fantasy last year too. So like, are the jets going to be full blown on one, two punch. So where neither one of them have the greatest value because Michael Carter was a guy I had him in multiple fantasy leagues last year and, and, and he won me some games. He was the difference between wins or losses. So I think Zeke is a guy who I, I bro, I would honestly question any fantasy league from 10 to 12 men leagues where he's still available in the third or fourth round. I, I would be absolutely surprised if you get to go in the third round period and Ezekiel Elliott was there, I would be surprised or I would respect people who know something that I don't. Because I think when you, after those top five running backs, at pick seven or eight, the who you're looking at from what I've seen doing mock drafts is Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Joe Mixon, and Dalvin Cook. Like, those are the consistent guys who are there around that time. And it's like, are you going to pass on them for a top-tier wide receiver in a passing league and then sacrifice your running back position? Or are you going to take one of those guys and be like, okay, I can get an above-average wide receiver who's going to put up numbers enough in a passing league anyways, but my running back one is Ezekiel Elliott. So I look at it like with having pick seven and pick eight, in, in in a couple fantasy leagues, like, you know, not to disclose, but Zeke is the guy I'm looking at drafting at pick seven or pick eight because that running back, in a fantasy perspective, that running back is so tough to come by anyways, and you may get lucky and get a guy in the eighth round who somebody got hurt and, and you were able to snag him up. I've had multiple leagues where that's happened to me where, like, bro, I got Michael Carter last year by luck. Like, I took him, but... He wasn't supposed to be the running back one, and then the guy got hurt, and then boom, there he is. Like, yeah. But I think Zeke is first-round value to me in a fantasy draft, to be honest. Like, The more I've done mock drafts, because I know I use sleeper out for all of my leagues, the more I, I think the wider, or running back, wide receiver, running back is, is the strategy that I'm leading because I'm, I think I'm the eighth or ninth pick in my main mm -hmm. league. And I look at a guy like, I'm like, okay, I'll take Najee Harris in the first round. And then when I start going to, around to the swing around, knowing that I could have a Devontae Adams, a Stephon Diggs, maybe a Lamb or a Hill be my number one wide receiver, I'm like, okay, perfect. And then I, I look at that third round of wide receivers, and I think there's a lot of value in there. And I think Zeke has probably the highest value out of all those guys 
We've already heard about Fournette having weight issues. Sounds like he's got it back under control, but you know, he is a guy with an injury history. Javante, Melvin Gordon's still there. While I think Javante is going to get the bulk of the carries, he is going to have to split a little bit. James Conner was TD dependent. Demont's in a bad offense. So I look at Zeke and I'm like, third round value on Zeke? Like, I, I would even consider taking him late second round as well. But yeah, I really like Zeke's value. I do think Pollard has a lot of value as well as a flex play. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know. Running backs start getting up there age-wise. Maybe Zeke misses some time. Suddenly Pollard slides in to a, a high-powered offense where he's going to see a lot of a lot of carries and even some catches as well. So I think Pollard's a very good option fantasy-wise as well. If you don't get Zeke, maybe you take Pollard a little bit later on. Maybe you get a bit fortunate with injury luck or whatever else to, to win you a league. Now, C.D. Lamb, he's wide receiver six, which we were talking before we came on uh, on here talking about it. And to me, it's a little bit high. Now, I like C.D. Lamb. He's he's ADP 16, so you're anticipating he's going to be mid-second round. He's behind the big five of Cup, Jefferson, Chase, Adams, and Diggs. But he is ahead of Debo. He is ahead of Tyree Kill. He's even ahead of guys like A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, like, there's a lot of talented wide receivers, let's face it, in the NFL. But Lamb falls in that mid-second round. So if you are drafting him, you're anticipating that he's going to be your number one wide receiver this year. So would you feel comfortable with Lamb being your number one target? Or would you prefer having a guy like a Debo, maybe a guy like Diggs instead? Like, What are your thoughts on Lamb from a fantasy perspective? I'd be comfortable with Lamb being my wide receiver one if I take him in the second round. Now, if you reach for him and I got to take him in the first round, I'm not loving the direction my team is going in. But knowing if I have a running back that I'm comfortable with taking in the first round or I got a top tier wide receiver and I just say forget running backs altogether and I take a gamble of having two top tier wide receivers and I take a gamble of finding a gym, you know, and running back because it happens every year. There's somebody that we're not thinking about when drafting fantasy who's going to have a whole bunch of value. And he's going to be the waiver wire favorite by week three. It's going to happen. It happens every year. Yeah, like, but it happens every year, right? Like somebody gets hurt and by week three, there's a running back sitting there that you're like, oh, he's going to be the, the feature of an offense. Like just think about it. Booker was the guy last year with the Giants. Like once Saquon Barkley went down, like everybody wanted Devontae Booker because you knew like, okay, he's going to fill that void. And, you know, I had him in multiple leagues. So with C.D. Lamb, when I look at, like, there's been point in times over the past couple of years where Dak and the Dallas Cowboys were on pace to have 3,000-yard receivers in Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. They throw the ball a lot. They threw the ball a lot, whether it's comeback. I don't care about wins and losses when I'm talking about fantasy. A team winning the game does not get you any more points. It's all about individual performance. And so to know that CeeDee Lamb is going to be wide receiver one, he was arguably Dak's favorite target last year, even with Amari Cooper, like he was Dak's safety blanket. I I would imagine, I know he's going to go up against better corners, but I would just imagine that the same way Amari Cooper was treated the first year and a half that he was in the Dallas Cowboys uniform, I think CeeDee Lamb is going to fill that role. And I think CeeDee Lamb is going to be, from a fanny perspective, fantasy perspective he's going to be one of those top tier wide receivers the five guys named ahead of him and when we talk about fantasy it's not about who's better it's like 
the more you get targeted, the more catches you have, especially in a PPR, you get a point just for catching the ball. Like before we even talk about yards, you get a point for just catching the ball. I think CeeDee Lamb is going to get 10 to 12 targets a game. And so to put him in that top 10, let alone top six, like you have him at six, I don't think that's wrong because I look at where was Amari Cooper value when he was wide receiver one for the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. He was up in there. And he, and, and he kind of prevailed except when he was hurt. So what do you think? Like you think like, oh no, now all of a sudden we're just going to spread the ball around and Dak's not going to find a favorite target. Dak has found a favorite target every year of his career. And I think this year is going to be CeeDee Lamb. So I think from a fantasy perspective, six is a little high, but him being in the top 10, I definitely understand it because you're ranking wide receiver ones and then you're valuing how much they're going to get the ball thrown to them. And I think CeeDee Lamb is just going to repeat in Amari Cooper's best year and a half with Dallas. I think it's just going to be a repeat of targets, catches, yards, and all in touchdowns for CeeDee Lamb. I think Dak loves CeeDee Lamb, and I think it's going to show this year. I do think that we're he's going to be one of these guys that slips and drafts just because where he is, only because, first of all, a lot of people hate Dallas. And second of all, when you have the names Tyree Kill and Debo Samuel behind him, I think guys are going to reach more so for him. So if I'm tail end of second round and CD's there, 100%, like like I'm drafting him, I feel 100% comfortable about it. But I do think that'll happen. I actually think from a value perspective, I'd love to own Gallup this year. Um, his ADP is 129, which means you're getting him late 10th round, early 11th round. When you look at other guys that are in that area, like I'm not taking Rondale Moore. I'm not taking Jarvis Landry with Jameis. I'm not taking Christian Watson. Well, I would think about Christian Watson with Green Bay, but I just think Gallup in that offense, he's still going to see his targets. He's still going to make mm-hmm. some catches, have some TDs. And so I think he's a great flex play to have. Uh, and someone that you can stash on your bench. Now, when we're talking about guys being really high as far as where their ADP is, I was very shocked when I saw Dalton Schultz ADP. Now, his ADP is 59, which means that you're taking him late fifth round, early sixth round, but they have him at tight end six. Now, he's behind the big five tight ends. We're talking Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, Waller, and Pitts, but he is ahead of TJ Hawkinson. He's ahead of Dallas Goddard. He's ahead of Dawson Knox. I do think he's going to have a lot of value in this offense. I was just a bit surprised to see him as high as tight end six. So would you feel comfortable with Schultz week to week being your tight end? If you're missing out on these top five guys, then a lot of people like to wait until maybe a little bit later, but Schultz may play a role in this Dallas offense. So what do you think of his value? I think that's very high. I mean, you talk about Goddard. uh, You talk about the five guys ahead of him, rightfully so, right? But, like, guys I would also have ahead of him is Goddard, is Mike Jacecki, you know, from the Miami Dolphins. Like, I think with having Mike McDaniels, I think they're going to sling the ball around a lot. With having two deep outside threats with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I think that makes uh, Jacecki's value coming up the seam a lot more. I think he's going to be the safe. You know, a tight end is a safety blanket for every quarterback, right? Like, yeah. so when I look at it, it's like, I know Schultz is going to be a safety blanket, I think he's going to be a red zone target with not having the biggest wide receivers over there in Dallas. But at the same time, it's like ever since Jason Witten has left, like Cowboys tight ends haven't been the top, like cream of the crop that we're used to. Like they play multiple tight end splits. You know, I know Schultz is going to be the guy and we lost Jarwin, but 
There could be some other tight end. Then, you know, like we go so far deep into the wide receiver room where like Noah Brown gets some catches and gets some plays with being a big body wide receiver uh, in the red zone. So I don't hold the value where I would say he's tight end six for me in fantasy. Yeah, I just think it's really high. I, I would rather wait a little bit longer. I'd, I'd rather rely on a Dawson Knox getting a lot of touchdowns than maybe mm-hmm. Dalton Schultz. So while I do think Schultz will have more targets, more catches than a guy like Knox, I just think I would rather wait a little bit later on, especially when you're talking just normal positions. Like you'd be basically drafting a guy like Dalton Schultz instead of a guy like Amari Cooper, a guy like Hollywood Brown. Like you're, you're putting a lot of eggs into the Dallas offense. If you think that Schultz is going to be that guy. So defensively Dallas is defense eight to me defense is definitely a a play it by week situation unless you get the Rams defense or or maybe there's a couple others that I'm not thinking of right now if you get one of those defenses then you're maybe starting them every single week unless they're playing the the top offense but defense eight for me the nice part about drafting Dallas defense you look at the schedule once you get past week four or five and as you said, they're going to be in every single game. They're they're going to be competing with everybody. So I think the Dallas offense is a good one, especially for fantasy playoffs, because once you start getting into those playoffs and you know that there's going to be a lot of those divisional games for Dallas, I think that's where their defensive value is. Would you draft the Dallas defense? Yeah, I would, because I know like even last year, like Dallas's defense had a lot of value because they created turnovers. And that's kind of, this, the theme of a Dan Quinn defense. So when I look at their defense, like, yeah, I would draft them. Like if I'm not going to go in the 11th, 12th round or whatever and pick, you know, one of those top three or four defenses, like I definitely would snag Dallas. But when it comes to defenses for fantasy, for me, I play it on a week by week basis. Like even a bad defense gets a favorable matchup and you're willing to start them just because like the later you get into the season, the more you know what type of offense the opposite team is running. So it's like, okay, they're going to run the ball a lot. They're not effective. You know, like, oh, this team plays the Atlanta Falcons. They got Marcus Mariota at quarterback. I'm just going to play them just because he's turned the ball over this many times or whatever. So Dallas is one of those week in, week out, but I think they're in the upper echelon of defenses that you would consider playing week in and week out. Like, I think you would start them more often than you wouldn't, but you know, defense is tricky in fantasy anyway. Like, I always treat defense as I play it week by week regardless. Even if I get one of those top-tier defenses, like, no matter what kind of defense you have, we're in a world where you give up a lot of points and and a lot of yards anyway, uh, week in and week out. So, I'm not high on defense. So, it's like if I went for the moon and landed, or if I shot for the stars and landed on the moon and got Dallas' defense, I definitely wouldn't be upset. Yeah, I would agree there. I do like to play the matchups unless you have a really good turnover defense, which Dallas did have last year. Then I think you play it week to week. But Mo, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before I let you go, tell me what are your Dallas Cowboys expectations and then let let the folks know at home what you uh, have got going on over at the network. So if I predict the Cowboys expectations, we go 11 and six and lose in the first round of the playoffs. That's just being a realistic guy, like we go 11 and six, we win the division and we lose in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe we get a favorable matchup and we win one playoff game, but I think our ceiling is winning a playoff game. I think our floor is we win the division and, and go to the playoffs and lose in the first round. 
But yeah, you can follow me at Up in Flames Pod on Instagram at Mo underscore Cheese fifteen on uh, Twitter and on TikTok. I post clips of you know certain things that come up and stuff like that. Uh, I'll probably be recording the show here in another hour or two, just doing a solo one. Kind of you know I've taken a break. Football is about to ramp up, so it's about that time to really know that I'm about to do three or four, or five shows a week from now until probably February. So this was kind of the start of it being on here. And as always, bro, I appreciate you for having me on. For sure. I'm going 11 and six as well. I have Dallas winning a playoff game only because when I look at the NFC, once I get past those division winners, then I think there's a lot of question marks. I don't see a lot of teams there that I necessarily love more than Dallas. I think our most likely scenario is we're running into San Fran again, maybe Arizona, but I think we have the better team top to bottom. And I like us a lot more actually this year than I did last year. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mo. Uh, Appreciate everyone who tunes in every single day to our show. And we will see you guys tomorrow for the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast.